0: All right, let's start. My name is Mahogany L. Brown.
1: My name is Jai Poetic,
0: And this is More Than Slam, a four-episode series about the past, present, and future of slam poetry.
1: Today we're joined by Carvins LaSant.
0: Yes, Carvins and Carvins LaSant.
1: He's a New York City legend. Yeah. Not just
0: so, a legend. I, I don't know. I, that's why I
1: stopped. I mean, there's, is there a word? I don't know. I got to get my... I think a the, supernova.
0: He's ooh. a poetry supernova. That's like,
1: that's like an exploding star. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, some of you guys is just stars and then but I'm exploding star, so. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Y'all went to college. We, yeah. did. we, to college. <laughs> we did, we did. We stole Twice, on <laughs> <Twice. laughs> <All Twice>. purpose.
0: <laughs> but I think it's really important to have someone of Carvin's stature here, because mm-hmm. uh, you are really an example of the trajectory of slam poetry, of performance poetry, hmm. not just poetry as a youth poet, but poetry as a young adult, and then how that takes you through the college stratosphere to mm. a, a Broadway stage. Mm. Um, Amen. Yeah, I mean, y'all making me
2: feel, y'all about to make me drop my smile. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> truthful, man,
1: four. it's truthful. I mean, there's no, there's, there's no more, Proof that uh, arts as an intervention in our system works, and having a student, uh, a person, a young person who grew up in New York City, experienced mm. the arts at such an early age, use that to navigate through all planes of the academic environment and in the uh, the actual environment that's trying to kill you actively every single mm. Day, mm. day, right? And early and, and, early and early still day. find art and still make it to to such uh, successes. And I know, yeah. I can just imagine. And I know growing up in New York City. You know, we always see you see Broadway, but you never like you know, like mm-hmm. maybe I can get a job here <laughs> and then mm-hmm. we, we dream about it, but we're often told, like, you know, what can it be planned, You know, mm-hmm. and then somebody who found art
2: and made it through.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. So can you tell us mm-hmm. about the beginning of that journey? Ooh, um
2: Sheesh. Yeah. Well the beginning. Well, first of all, thank y'all for having me. I love right y'all. I know I know we out here being formal, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but y'all the family, y'all. The okay. Families. But uh man, where did it start? Um well, I think when it started, uh as a child in a home, right? So I'm Haitian, first generation American in this country, but you know, growing up a very strict Haitian parent, sort of being in a house where I felt, um, I had all of these emotions that I didn't really know what to do with. Um, so I I always had a very deep, overwhelming, um, expressive spirit that never got to sort of like break out. So I was extremely, I was extremely in love with like R&B music because it seemed to be just so transparent about Mm. men talking about love. I seem to love uh, Mm. the elements of of hip hop and verse and and what it did and how it made me feel. But so it really started with me singing, but me always wanting to sort of be up on a stage and not really knowing how that was going to sort of take form and manifest. And I was working with a nonprofit organization called Urban Dove, where I was sort of like a basketball coach and a life coach uh, to young kids all around. New York, in Harlem, East Harlem, um, in the LES, uh, and we would go on these trips, and they would call these trips cultural outings. They'd be (laughs) like, yo, we're going to take you on a cultural outing. So Hmm. they took us to this cultural outing, to this open mic, which was at Baruch College, uh, and it was hosted by the youth organization, Urban Word, NYC, who we all work hey, with, work for, hey. who we love dearly. Uh, so I see the 2004 and 2005 uh, Poetry Slam team. Do you outperform. remember who were on those teams? Uh, oh. Elizabeth Acevedo, wow. Wow. Emmanuel Candelario, wow, uh, wow, wow. Aja Monet, uh, Skrill, River. You know, we had all these sort of like primary wow. names in the youth Poetry Slam mm-hmm. team.
0: All of who are also...
2: National Book Award winners. You know what what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So uh, I I see this and I'm like overwhelmed, moved, just blown away. And I'm a very. Uh, I am I would say I've always been someone filled with revelation. Mm. So all I got to do is see it, God has to speak it, and then I'm going to do it. Uh, so I saw that and I just felt God speak to me, not me not knowing it at the time. And I said, oh, word, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, it was that simple. So I was about 15 then, and I legit from that day uh, went home and I wrote every single day, I think for about six years.
1: Yeah.
2: Every single day. Every single day. There wasn't a day I missed. Uh, So from then, I just started to sort of develop and I was just like, well, how do I get in this? I I can't, one, I'm from Harlem, you know what I mean, uptown. So I was raised in a very particular way, but I was also (laughs) an athlete. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I played basketball. So in my head, I'm like, well, I'm going to be the best at this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the best at this. I want to be the best at this. So I said, well, how do I be the best? And I said, well, you be the best by going to where the best are. So, you know, I ended up joining Urban Word NYC and I would just go to their open mics at first. Um, Oh my God, my first poem was terrible. It was wild, disrespectful. I don't mm. even know what I was saying, but I was a young sixteen-year-old kid with no context <laughs> for anything. Mm-hmm. So I go up there with like some tims, a, a, a fitted, a flight jacket, and, sure, a, a fitted and a Scully. Both it's like the, the, New the, true, yeah, the New York starter pack. This uh, is true. So yeah, so I do that, um, and then I started going to sort of these workshops, and then I competed in 2007 in the Knicks. Uh, poetry slam. Mm-hmm. Uh, the New York Knicks, sort of, you know, was supporting Urban Word NYC by helping uh, give full scholarships. Oh no! At the time, they weren't even full scholarships. They were sort yeah, of like scholarships, Yeah, partial yeah. scholarships. Like, oh, we'll give you five thousand dollars, a free laptop, a free printer. So that was sort of my first uh, poetry slam. First time I ever competed. I had did a whole bunch of open mics before that. Um, and by the grace of God, I won mm. first place. So from there, I was just like, well, now I got to go everywhere. And you because hooked. I was like, well, I did that. So yeah. then I came to the New Yorican. Uh, what you year know. was
0: that? Was that the first time I met you?
2: That was, that was probably the first time. Yeah. That was probably the first time. I, w- I was coming to the, the New Yorican <laughs> Poetry Slam. Uh, I would come on Wednesdays, right. just straight up. <laughs> Struggle bus. I mean, John, you know, that you know, I, the remember this, I came I... in. First of all, I had a poetry name. That's how, you know, I was really that's, in this life. Yeah. My name was Vocals. The Vocals, poet. that's
1: right. <laughs> that. I remember Vocals. People don't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> People don't even know
2: that. So, yeah. So I came and then I realized after a couple of months, <laughs> that was the stupidest thing I could have ever created in life. So that that's where it started. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. And I think the, the trajectory went to different places because I also was struggling in certain areas of my life, you know. I was struggling in school. Me and my family, you know, went down on really hard times. So I had no place to live for years. Mm. And these were sort of my formidable years as a young professional artist where Mm -hmm. I was, you know, really homeless and just sort of like couch hopping anywhere that I could just to do this thing called poetry. Um, So I think it all started in the youth poetry slam scene. a sort of developed and then sort of got its legs in the adult poetry slam scene, although I wasn't even of age yet to sort of compete nationally, but I was like, well, let me stay immersed mm-hmm. in this community. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing that, I was a dropout and then I sort of transitioned into going into uh back to school, went to the American Academy for Dramatic Arts, uh got so a t- no 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 don't oh.
0: don't hop over that. Oh you 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 dropped out of school because <laughs> yeah. times were hard. Yeah. Poetry mm-hmm. was the main vein to keep you tapped into that thing. Mm-hmm. And then you went from dropout to like okay i'm gonna do alternative high school
2: yeah this is high school, Ooh, was, yeah. this high school or was this high school
0: right
2: yeah so yeah i failed so pretty much for anyone who's listening who isn't in the sort of new york area to graduate high school you need 44 credits you had you would have had to at least pass like six to eight Regents exams right. uh, and usually when you are in your senior year of high school you would have at least about, so it's a part of the reason why they call it senioritis because some seniors already have their 44 credits to graduate, they're just sort of there for formality. Um, So most, most high school students come in with at least 35 credits Got it. so going into my senior year I had 16 credits wow that's 16 credits and I had a GPA of uh, 55 wow um and it wasn't because I was skipping school I actually went to school every single day it was because yeah. I just didn't learn in that way yeah I didn't learn in the yeah. traditional school setting um yeah. and unfortunately I didn't have teachers you know I had teachers I didn't have educators the right I team. had people who are going there Collecting a check, you know, regurgitating information, but not trying to figure out how young people learn and not trying to cater specifically to how they, you know,
0: how you learn, how you take it
2: in. Yeah. So I, I, but I was also on the basketball team, and Mm I had, I had, passed just enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 classes to get back on the basketball team Mm -hmm. for my senior year. So I had to ask myself, do I want to play ball or do I want to graduate on Mm -hmm. time? Uh, So I couldn't see a world where I was like this super senior, that's what they called them, where right, <laughs> I right, was in right. school for like an extra two or three years just to finish. So I decided to take myself out of the high school that I was in, which was high school for health professions and human services downtown. And I enrolled into Edward A. Reynolds Westside High School, mm-hmm. which was actually um, a school sort of on the Upper West Side on the cusp of like Harlem, actually in Douglas Projects on 102nd Street between mm-hmm. Amsterdam and Columbus. And it was an alternative high school and it, allowed you, it was an accelerated program and mm-hmm. it allowed you to get credits at, a, at a fast rate yeah um that's what uh,
0: drew me to you though is that mm -hmm. i went through the same thing in my junior senior year where i dropped out of college uh high school i know that Uh uh-huh
1: getting the the truth i I sure did
0: because my mother's addiction had taken it had engulfed our world Mm -hmm. and i would just go to school i would go to school every day Mm -hmm. and then skip the classes and go to the college uh, well, the, the college, you know, like the college room where you get to look at all the colleges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will go to the college library and look at colleges I wish I could live mm-hmm. in and not go to class because I couldn't take anything in. It was just yeah. too much. Yeah. And it's coming from a kid who was like AP English to like, I can't ingest anything. There's yeah. nothing that I can do. So when I met you, I remember being like, oh, he is like a star. And there's still that thing that like took you away from from this like this this like you know traditional track of learning um and but it never had uh it never made your poetry suffer i noticed that like you were always Mm. very much still trying to educate yourself with poetry Mm -hmm. um so to know you were in alternative high school and then going to these extra classes at urban word nyc yeah yeah. i was like okay something something else is going on this is not just someone who's like yeah. I don't want to learn. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like it was something else. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to hear.
2: Yeah, I was just sort of like teach that me path. differently. Yeah, yeah. teach you know, me it differently. Was, it was tough and ironically enough, and this was the thing, you know, so this alternative high school was a second chance high school for a lot of, for a lot of cats. Right. So, you know, I was, I was up in, I was in class with Bloods, Crips, Uh, Latin kings, Mm -hmm. five-star generals. Mm -hmm. There were so many young women with children at our school. They built a daycare center Mm -hmm. on the first floor so that the young women can give, you know, have child care for their kids so that they can finish their high school diplomas. You know, it was. But they taught different there because Mm -hmm. they knew they were dealing with different kind of young people who needed to learn in different ways. I also was in, you know, in high school that last year were grown men, Yeah, you know, 21 years, I'm 16. Mm -hmm. Um, So I also, what was crazy about that is I took AM classes, PM classes, all of this thing. I, I apparently broke the record of how many I apparently broke the record of like most credits right. made in a year. Mm-hmm. Credit oh, recovery sure. So I was grinding. Wow. So yeah, there was night school and then there was this thing called AM school yeah. where you came in early mm-hmm. before everything started. So we had class at like 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it was just the it was just the grind. I was yeah. trying to like I was trying to get up out. I was. I was also try, in a way trying to get up out the hood. Yeah. You know, and and I went to and after my senior year, I went to. I did a year of community college at Tompkins Cortland Community College upstate. Uh, and I could have did community college here, but that just would have been the thirteenth grade. Right. You know? I would have yeah. been around the same people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, doing the sort of the same things. And, and no shade to anyone, you know, who's at a community college, do your thing. <laughs> but for me, I knew I, I couldn't do it, so yeah. I, I. You got to know year. your skill set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. I'm right like, am myself. I gonna fall
0: back into the trap of? Oh just hanging with the homies yeah,
2: or yeah so I don't know who I don't know who I would have been or whatever so yeah I've always struggled sort of in I think in life you know where There's a sort of this natural support where people speak into your life. I didn't have that. I didn't have that in the institutions that I was in. I didn't have that sort of at home. I I just never, I never was around people who were like, oh, you can do this. Like you Mm. can excel at this. And even in poetry, I didn't have that at first. I didn't have that at first. I had to sort of come in and like prove myself. I had to go on stage and do all this. Like when I won my first slam, everyone said, oh, he just won it because all the kids from the hood came. Oh, well, you know. well, boy,
1: in all fairness, he did bring 20-something people. <laughs>
2: I didn't bring them. They just showed up. That's,
1: they, they put out a message saying, we're going to rush the mic. I mean, you had already won before that, I think. But I remember they put out a message saying, we're going to rush the mic. I took 20, 20 people can sign up for the open mic. 15 of them was him and his homies. All right. <laughs> Am I well, no, see, all right. Well, see, that's after. Okay, that's after. But my, my first <laughs> slam,
2: mm-hmm. I beca- and this was the thing, I, had, I worked with – A a plethora of nonprofit organizations in New York. Yeah, this ribbon dove, uh, uh, Harlem Children's Zone, Boys and Girls Club. I was just a part of communities that wanted to support. Yeah, it just so happened that they were from the hood. It just so happens that (laughs) their support was a little gangster. (laughs) Not my fault. But you know, but even then, like. But even then, I would come to the workshops, and they'll be mm. shade, and you yeah. know, you know, I would come to the workshops, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, you can't really write," but you know, I guess you're a good performer. Um, so even in mm-hmm. this, sp- even first coming in, even
0: but e- as an adult now, oh. saying that, can you agree that most people respond from a space of insecurity, because you weren't writing any different than anyone else on your level at that age?
2: Yeah, I mean, with that perspective, of course. Yeah, but, you know, when you're in it. Because it wasn't adults telling you you couldn't write or perform. Some
0: were.
1: I think it might have been adults.
2: Some were. Really? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, but Absol-
2: absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think, I, think I
1: believe that it was adults, too. Really? I, I, I,
0: yeah, because- I, I, Even yeah, when I, I came for Carve. No,
2: but- You came for my neck.
0: I came for your throat.
2: <laughs> your throat.
0: <laughs> not the throat. <laughs> she came it, your throat. But it wasn't for the validity of your voice. It was the accuracy of what you were talking about.
1: Yeah, but I think you- Yeah, and praise God. Because and,
2: and, and, you and were pray. killing
0: it. And it wasn't about him not killing it. I was of like, no, no. He got
2: a standing ovation, people. Yeah. We're
0: clear on that. Yeah. It yeah. was
2: never like you ain't the one. Yeah, but you were different in right. that sense, right? You Fair. know, I had you know, I had people in I the didn't realize adults just, came from one hundred percent. Yeah. It makes b- me b- so sad. I had, I had like even, that's your job to even, support kids. Even even when I, you know, sort of became a little bit more prominent in the community and I was and I started to teach because I was I started to teach workshops at Urban Word mm-hmm. just on some grassroots type yeah, tips. On so some give back. Yeah. I remember. But but even before that, like, I would just get a group of people and I'd say, yo, we're going to meet here and we just going to workshop, you know? So this is when, like, uh, uh, Reynolds. I remember this. Reynolds was, uh, I think the program. He was front, front, yeah, front desk. He, you know, he was at the front desk and, yeah, like, yeah. me and Reynolds, we would just get a group of people and we would go around the corner to the Burger King wow. and to the Wendy's and we would sit down and have writing workshops in the wow. Wendy's Wow. and in the Burger King, you know, we would sit down there. We would do performance workshops. That's when we
0: were over
2: in the FIT area. Yep, in the FIT area. Wow. We would go to the McDonald's on 8th Ave, mm-hmm. we would all buy food and then everyone would get up one by one and we would critique and give notes yeah. and like we were about it. Yeah. So we started doing that on some grassroots level and we started mm-hmm. doing some deep working and that's when sort of, you know, but even then, you know, when I finally got on, you know, the, the, what you call it, sort of the rotation mm-hmm. of the teaching artists, there adult, they were, they were adults in the scene were like, oh, how you got kids teaching kids? You know, the, yeah, it was something we needed. In the same, exactly. That's, <laughs> we that's needed, what I'm saying. We so. needed
0: that. You that's you were the first person that I turned to when it was time for me to coach. Do you remember? Oh my God, I loved. I, I
2: loved was like, a little bit of you that.
0: need the liaison. You need the person who's young enough to be able to speak the language, mm-hmm. but also um, mature enough to like help keep the organization the administration portions together mm-hmm. and like you need young people serving young people otherwise what are they going how are we going to like teach others to lead
2: absolutely
1: absolutely also and you know you have a much different access to young people than than anybody would have had at the time yeah. right i mean the thing is cuz i remember that time period you were talking about yeah. and i think you you suffered from that too John. i absolutely did and mm. i think that's the way in which i think it's racialized too i mm-hmm. think that's the way in which uh young black poets are, are met with this, you're a great performer, but there's a hold up on the page without thinking that I actually wrote this stuff down first, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it, the thing is, it's, it's racialized in a way that I know I've done festivals and they put me in a group called Street Poets. <laughs> and same. I and, oh and you and you've been there as well. And then I'm like, listen, I have a book, I got a master's degree, and I'm still with the street poets. Well, what are you really saying? Right. And, and I know I know that was used on some of the young poets coming up because the people who were doing that to me were mentors in these programs. Yeah. You know, they were curating these venues that were treating me this way. So how can I not expect them you know, to look at a brother who's from from a similar place who looks a similar way? He's the same. He's got to yeah. be all performance, and he's winning. And he's perform- winning, and he's winning, right? He he's winning in performance environments, you right. know, and and uh, so it I felt like it went.
0: was they pit you against the thing that they can't
2: beat you at. Yeah, and and then the, here's where it gets you know sort of uh, complicated and problematic, and I think I even fell into this trap where then you start to sort of create yes. from a place mm-hmm. where you're trying to adhere Prove to validate. whatever you uh. think you know is this sort of canon of good writing uh-huh. so yes. that you can exist in really spaces that were eurocentric and white mm. to say that no i am a writer i am mm. a good right. person as if our style mm. ways of the way we investigate verse mm. aren't incredibly beautiful and, and, and have its own pedagogical approach. I mean, right. when I was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, I had teachers, you know, who were my voice and speech teachers, who told me, I think you should stop poetry. they were like, I think you should stop poetry because it's influencing your regionalism and you won't have good speech for the American theater. I remember we had this conversation too. Um
0: who do they think about you now?
2: That's what I'm saying. They didn't get a ticket. They couldn't get a ticket to see. Those are the same teachers who couldn't get tickets, you know? So or who were begging. Talk that talk off. Talk that talk off. I like when you talk
1: that talk 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 off. Can I see you in Hamilton?
2: Or you want to see the thing where Oh my my form of storytelling right. the one that you were telling me talk talk you want to see my
0: regionalism Yeah, you talking talk <laughs> now
2: but uh. yeah so it's, yeah, it's <laughs> super super complicated so yeah those were sort of the beginning yeah sort of uh of parts yeah. and then after sort of that you know after the alternative high school and after the, sort of the three years of couch hopping and bouncing around, in those formidable years is when I was sort of with y'all. You know, mm-hmm. those are the formidable years where I was at the New Eureka every Wednesday, every mm-hmm. Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the, the at the barry, at mm-hmm. bar third, at, sort of on the scene, just yeah. heavy, heavy on the scene. And man, I was spitting for my life.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: was spitting for my life. Mm-hmm. I was spitting for my life, and I was spitting. You know, I didn't. I didn't believe in getting like a a job. You know, um, so I, I sacrificed that because for me it was, it was basic mathematics. I'm like, the more time I spend into this, the more it will pour back into me, mm-hmm. even if it's long term. So, you know, and I, it did, huh? <laughs> praise so the So, you,
0: you received the St. John's Ooh, yeah. scholarship for college,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
0: went there, mm-hmm. and I. When were weren't you on the gospel? Yeah,
1: the did. Did, choir. You Cadillac, did you guys do Cadillac? Cadillac? No, we did our Dream Girls. Dream Girls. Yeah, I came yeah, to see him Dream in Dream, Dream Girls. That's yeah. the he was smoking inside life. it. You like, <laughs> guys happy. are smoking. This is great.
2: Yeah. So I. So yeah. After that whole sort of whole. Sort of ordeal. Yeah, I got the full scholarship to, uh, after the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, got a full scholarship to St. John's University. Wow. And there, that's why I started sort of doing ministry work and started uh-huh. working, started preaching yes. there, sort of with this gospel choir where I was serving as the chaplain. Um, <laughs> don't it don't go away Don't go over it too fast.
1: <laughs> you was the chaplain yeah. at St.
2: John's? <laughs> I was the chaplain for the Voices of Victory gospel choir. Wow. Yeah there and i was using and pretty much like the way i wrote sermons were yeah. was how i wrote poems yes, really yeah. the way i facilitated bible studies what hmm. was how i workshop <laughs> right, right. Yeah. how i workshop yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and it's crazy even mm-hmm. the way i read the bible i read the bible the way i learned to do dramaturgical work as a playwright wow you know like that's how that's how i dissect the text yeah. i'm like all right who is this who am i speaking to huh. who is the audience ah oh, what year was this written yeah like and mm-hmm. the, even the way, I, you know, as I try to dissect text, you know, in scripture, as as a with my own work, like I learned it from everything I did came from you know the arts. So yeah, but I was also doing that while I was full time touring mm-hmm. with the Strivers' Row.
0: Right.
2: Um, so I'm touring full time. The you Chaplain. didn't talk even you didn't even talk about how Strivers'
0: Row came about. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. So Strivers' Row was sort of a coll- uh, a collective of of you know young poets that came out of the um, the youth poetry scene that sort of transitioned into the adult poetry scene both through you know brave new voices and cupsy and and eye whips in the national sort of poetry slam and we sort of saw we sort of saw that it was difficult for us to book college gigs. Mm. We also saw that it was difficult for us to have representation because we would do these college gigs and they would be like, oh, yeah, we know we were going to pay you this, but we're actually going to pay you this. And I'm like, wait, that's not what we discussed. Or they said, oh, yeah, you know, our budget fell through last minute. So how about this sandwich and $50? And we were like, wait, no. (laughs) So uh, Joshua Bennett and and his his sister, she sort of served as his representation on certain things. And we were like, yeah, what if we started something where poets had, you know, representation? That's also not new right people right. have done that already right. there have been speakers bureaus and there's been all you know ad, you know collectives mm-hmm. and so we weren't doing anything uh new but we were like what if we just sort of did it our way so you know we reached out to a couple of you know people who we were friends with uh miles hodges and alicia and and we that that's what it started with us for mm-hmm. it was me josh miles and alicia and we were like man what what moves us? Like, what type of work are we doing? And we started thinking about the black arts movement and the Harlem Renaissance. And we started thinking about, you know, areas of New York that we felt like, well, what type of artists would we want to represent in, the, in a contemporary way that paid homage to something? And we were like, yo, we love Harlem. I was from, I'm from Harlem, you know. Uh, Miles spent a lot of his summers in Harlem, you know, coming down from Jersey. And we said, yo, the Strivers row was something big for us. And it was sort of like a double entendre. We like, listen, man, what do Strivers do when we're going up the current of life? We're rowing, we're going forward. So we just sort of started this thing and well first we were going to do a couple of shows and just try to have at least a little bit of representation so we can have some some reps when we try to go out on gigs and we did our first uh we did a show at La Poisson Rouge mm-hmm. and the night of the show we only had 75 tickets sold and we were like oh man you know this is this is alright man it's gonna be good we're gonna perform for the homies that night we have 500 people there mm-hmm. we were like oh word that's what's up that's what's up you know that's <laughs> cool that's cool we're like yo let, let's, let's do and because all of us were in college you know we sort of came up with this trademark y'all this is the dean's list we are the dean's we are on the dean's list of, of, of work we're trying to do so we're like yo let's do another show dean's list too 700 people came we're mm-hmm. like wait wait what's happening here we did a third show 900 people came Mm. and we were packing out these houses one literally they were like miracles in a lot of ways because the day of we would have a couple of tickets sold and people would just show up and we realized we had something (laughs) so we added a couple more people to the collective jasmine mans came down we had singers we had jenna bell we had uh a harpist you know we were we were like trying to do things and then we just sort of hit the we just sort of hit hit the college circuit and we were we had the the grace to sort of perform internationally we did two sold out shows in london one sold out show in manchester and yeah so that was a bus i was doing that on top of like you know (laughs) being a minister and then still also trying to be a part of the scene and give back and come to urban word and serve as a teaching artist it was a lot Mm -hmm. happening at the same time then i got married it was a lot um so yeah (laughs) there's a lot
0: (laughs) so the marriage that did happen did. bless up mrs yeah. lissant
2: congratulations, congratulations. Yeah.
0: congratulations um and then when did hamilton come in
2: when and how yeah oh that's that i mean that came in so, so you went to
1: nyu in
2: between this time. yeah so i went to nyu oh we yeah. forgot nyu okay yeah. We NYU. yeah yeah so after st john's university i'm like i'm done with school oh no after American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I was like, done. I'm done. Right. Um, then St. John sort of came along. I'm like, well, if I'm getting the second undergrad degree, maybe I should consider getting a master's because I do want to be a teaching artist. I want to teach on the university level. But also for me, again, I'm 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 about I'm about the work and the grind. Mm. I started looking at all of the actors that I loved, Denzel, you know, mm. Angela Bassett, mm-hmm. you know, just all of these actors, and I'm like, what is the the common denominator, all of it was training. Mm-hmm. So I said, I know mm-hmm. I've already trained and I know I've done sort of my, uh, my own guerrilla training. So mm-hmm. I said, no, let me keep it going. Let me keep it going. The more years I got on, the more years right, I right. got on cats in the training then, mm-hmm. I think the more developed I'm gonna be. Mm-hmm. So I decided to audition for graduate school programs. I auditioned for five schools, NYU, Juilliard, uh, Columbia University, Brooklyn College, and the new school. I got into four. Mm-hmm. I got into four schools by the grace of God. Um, And, yeah, so I did three. So I sort of took myself out of the game. Mm -hmm. I took myself out of the poetry Mm -hmm. scene. I took myself out of the performance scene. At the height.
0: At the height. At the height. It was...
2: I was I was like, am I crazy? Am I? We had just did a Strivers Row show, mm-hmm. and we we had I think we might have had close to two thousand people that night because mm-hmm. we had nine hundred for the first show. We did two shows: 900 first show, nine hundred second show. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, things are moving. Why would I? I'm getting all these opportunities and. Mm-hmm. And I decided, no, I'm just gonna take myself out the game. So I I spent and devoted three hard, rigorous years of my life at NYU graduate school, uh, the graduate acting program at Tisch. And it was difficult, man, it Mm. was really hard. I mean, it was hard because it was the first three years of my marriage. So, you know, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to be a husband and do that. Mm -hmm. It was hard because it took me out of my church community. Mm -hmm. I had just sort of connected with uh, one of my homies and and, and friends. His name is James Roberson, who's the lead pastor of the church that I attend now called Bridge Church NYC. And we were, I mean, my wife, Leslie, were part of the launch team. You know, Mm -hmm. she was sort of the head of the greeting team. Uh, I I was leading worship with two other people. Uh, one, one of my friends, Destiny, who's actually in the Tina Turner musical right now. Mm, and right uh, my other friend, Amanda, who's an amazing vocalist and singer. She just sang at the show. Um, and... You know, I was pulling myself out of my church community, pulling Mm -hmm. myself out of the poetry community just to do this thing because I just had a vision. And when I have a vision, I go. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so there was that. So Hamilton sort of came after that. But Hamilton was actually a culmination, I think, of almost like 14 years of -hmm. a a dream, Mm -hmm. I think that that I think Jesus gave me way before this because I became an actor because of Lynn's first work, which was in the Heights. Mm-hmm. And I saw in the wow. Heights sort of my first early years yeah. doing poetry. Mm-hmm. So and I also happened to be dancing salsa at the time. Mm-hmm. So My salsa dance team. remember your salsa. I I I still got the the moves, moves, man. Don't get it twisted. But yeah, so my salsa dance team got free tickets to go see In the Heights. And they were like, it is a hip hop musical that is infused hip hop and salsa. I said, sign me up. So we went blue, yo. like, I have never had an experience like that watching something. Mm -hmm. One, I'm seeing... My body's on a stage. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing New York on a stage. Um, Bodegas, uh, the A-Train, all these things. Again, regionalism. Yeah, Right, right, (laughs) right. I'm seeing hip-hop. I'm seeing verse and pristine verse at that. I'm Mm. seeing bars and I'm seeing this Puerto Rican cat up there as a lead of a show. Mm. And uh, the real game changer for me was the the character Benny, played by Chris Jackson, who's a black man, who was singing sultry R&B. He's so... Good. Sultry. He's Just so, so good. Like sultry. And I was like, yo, Oof. that was the first time I said out loud, oh, there's space for me. Yeah. And I didn't even know what those words meant at the yeah. time. So I was in love with Lynn's work since I was 17. Wow. Mm-hmm. Since I was 17, wow. what ends up happening? Joshua Bennett ends up doing the White House performance of the Night of Spoken Word. Who's also there? Lynn manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. What Lynn Lin-Manuel Miranda performing? The first song of Hamilton. That same night, him and Josh become friends because they freestyle rap with each other <laughs> in Aww. the White House. They become friends. Lynn goes, hey, I want to give Josh these tickets to go see In the Heights. I had already seen it a couple of times. Bring people. Josh knows I love In the Heights. Josh goes, Carve I'm going to bring you. I go to the show. Lynn comes downstairs during intermission and says, stay here. I'm going to meet y'all after the show. I end up meeting Lynn at the show. It was just crazy. Wow. So. It, it, it was very full. So Hamilton was also a culmination of everything yes. that started with mm, poetry. Mm. So it's funny. Everyone also like gives me all these big, th- like everyone bigs me up in my acting career as if I met these people through auditions right. and like acting just, and I didn't. I met it because. This just happened. Yeah. yeah. I met it because of, of poems. Right. So then I got to meet Chris Jackson and Mandy Gonzalez, who I got to work with on Broadway and all these people who I admired literally through the poems because what? of the poems. Wow. And I and I started, you know, and I felt convicted because while I was in acting school, particularly at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, I started to shun the poems because mm. I thought it wouldn't make me a good actor. Not knowing that the poems was the foundation mm-hmm. and it gave me everything that I needed to be the best actor mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I understand language mm-hmm. in a ways that people can't even breathe or fathom.
0: Talk about um, that more. Understanding language through poetry, because here we are, Jivin Myself mm. came up with Brooklyn Slams. As a uh, an act of resistance mm. to the commodification that that most of this city, if That's not right. this country, is is using to not pay poets. Right. Mm. Like you get to come and perform for our people mm-hmm. and then we go do we go do whatever we do with the money.
1: And then yeah, they charge the door and then give us mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nothing. You so know. Right? thanks for, talk thanks, thanks talk for your free talk. Right? Talk. Thanks for your
0: free thanks for your free art. And at best yeah. you get a high five, right? So we, we created this this space here and at first we were going to the Nationals and we we that. Um Jive put together this uh, amazing plan that took us to Antigua yeah. where we're doing cultural exchange we're doing our poems in a place that most of us have never been, may never be able to afford going to before that moment, not even knowing it existed in that way. And so now we're learning that sure we can use the slam as a vehicle to bring in the community because the investment is high yeah Yeah? in any any sports investment is high that's right you're rooting for someone Mm -hmm. but we got to change it we got to change it on its head we got to make the people that are involved in that sport understand that this is only one aspect of the vehicle yeah the vehicle is going somewhere. Yeah. And the where is where we have, the, our destination is most important. So yeah, how does your poems get there? How does your community outreach get there? How are you accountable once you get to where you're going? Mm-hmm. And when you're writing, how are you accountable? Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about like that? Because you said something very like, it just rang a bell for me, which was I tried to shun the poems until I realized it was it was largely a part of your foundation.
2: Well yeah, I mean a little bit to what J a little bit to the point of what Jive was sort of talking about, and institutions, they make me feel that that the poetry part of me is that noise. Yeah. yeah. It's that noise or it's yep. that thing I do. You know, even even when I talk about poetry, they would say, you know, I had, you know, teachers Pedagogues, right? Pedagogues who I admired and respected, be like, "Oh, what is that rap thing you do?" That rap thing I do. How often do we get that? That rap Mm -hmm. thing. So, so I started to internalize that. I started to internalize that in a way. I can't be a good this if I fully embrace this part of me. And then it's also hard because I do think there's an element where everyone just tries to put you in a box, right? So I'm in. I'm in acting spaces and cats are like, yeah, that's that poet. Or I'm in poetry spaces and cats are like, yeah, that's that actor. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not like, he's both. He's both. Um, Or then I'll be in spaces where, you know, I'm in acting spaces where people be like, "Yeah, I'm a poet," but they're not really about that life. Yeah. You're not really <laughs> you know about I mean? that they're life. are not really about that life. Cuz if they life. were, you would know that. They're you know them by really like now. That life. But then I'll be in these poetry spaces <laughs> uh-huh. and people are like, "Yeah, I got this solo show. I'm an actor," and they really not about they're that not life. They're not about it. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. like, "How can I honor both of these aesthetics mm-hmm. um and let that be the truth of it it, it is who it is what made me and in it is what I chose to sort of do." But mm-hmm. yeah, so I think I realized that that's actually what set me apart in the acting world was that I was this... Well, one, I'll say this. Unfortunately, not every actor is an artist. Okay. Not every actor is an artist, right? I say that to say that not every actor understands the element of what it means to produce your own work, of what it means to write your own words on a page and try to get people to come and hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, Not every actor, you know, is, is... has perspective in terms of like what roles they should choose to do, just because they don't understand the depths of what words actually do on a page and Mm -hmm. how it affects people and and, and how important imagery is and how important all of that is. So I actually praise, I thank God. I actually didn't know what an audition was. I'd heard the word but I didn't know what it was because I came into the theater you know when I was 18 sort of during that time when I was like grinding I wrote my own solo show that I ended up doing off Broadway you know with Urban with Urban Word as a part of this program called Journal to Journey that we started where mm-hmm. they were auditioning young poets and helping them transform their poetry into sort of full length you know into mm-hmm. plays mm-hmm. so I came in to the acting world doing my own work right. so every time I saw someone do work on a stage I was I was like, "Oh, word! You wrote that? That's fire! That's what I thought." Uh, mm-hmm. so there are there are things inherently by being a poet that makes you an entrepreneur, that mm-hmm. makes you um, a writer, mm-hmm. that makes you a um, a sort of pedagogue of the field, and you just understand language in a different way. And as an actor, you have to be in love with language. Right. As a good actor, right. you have to be in love with it. Um, you know. Yeah, so I think that that that's a little bit. I started to shun it because I was like, people were calling me that poet guy in the mm, acting yeah. world, and I was like, nah, yeah, but yeah, but I, and
1: I, I think that I, I think that's interesting because it, it happens so frequently, right? And, and I really do believe that there's a level of. Both racism and capitalism involved in that shunning, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I can isolate you, then I can separate myself from you, which means I can protect my revenue stream, right? Once mm-hmm. you once you stop once you stop being the black rapper guy and you become the NYU trained actor and champion poet, you know you inter- you start interrupting revenue streams. Now you might become poet laureate and become yeah. a professor at NYU, and you can rap still and you can sing. <laughs> and now yeah. it's like, okay, if if uh, it's like And I use this argument all the time. It's like, listen, in a discussion of rap versus poetry or rap and poetry, once you admit that rap is poetry, then you have to admit that Drake or Jay-Z could be the poet laureate. And Mm -hmm. then once you say that, then you have to say, well, what happens when Drake or Jay-Z or Kendrick or any of or, or any of them become a professor at Harvard, whose class is going to get registered for it, whose is not going to get mm-hmm. registered for it, and the thing is it starts, mm. it starts at that open mic. It starts the day you show up at that workshop and they say, you're just a performer. Mm-hmm. They need you to think that so you can second guess that. So when you show up, you'll be like, I got to get this poem out of me, and you start mm-hmm. making these... Language choices in your writing that may not even be natural or may not even be what you want to say, mm-hmm. and and that is a replication of the white supremacy that I think keeps us down. And I'm really glad that you started articulating that because it's a real tangible thing, and it takes mm-hmm. so long for so many of us to see it. Yeah, it's scary too, right? Because you're mm-hmm. gonna starve if you don't conform. Sometimes, yeah. you know, talk that
0: talk, Jai. Yeah, mm. talk <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's it's why cause... they was so ups- so upset when Kendrick Lamar got that Pulitzer.
1: That's what and, and the <laughs> thing is, like,
0: wait, who is this Kendrick? Yeah, who's and, lay and and it's like,
1: <laughs> lay bar. people are mad at Kendrick, and we should be saying, "What took it so long?" Like, right, yeah. like, like, what? Okay, Kendrick won Yeah, like <laughs> what? Yeah. what? took a rapper? You yeah. had to apply for the Pulitzer, though. So they, I think, they, I think the way it worked was somebody might have had it on the third. Like, yeah, you should apply. You're gonna win this thing. But I'll tell you
2: what's even more complicated. So, like, what's so incredible about you know Hamilton is you know it, it's our aesthetic. It's our aesthetic and our, it's our form of uh, storytelling and it's our bodies, you know. So it's so revolutionary because little white kids, they go into textbooks mm-hmm. and they see pictures of George Washington. They go, that's not George Washington. I <laughs> <Carver's laughs> don't look like that. That's a, George Washington that. is a tall black chocolate man. <laughs> and I think that's mad revolutionary. I think, you know, it changes the level of imagery, right? It changes that there was something about me being a Haitian uh, black big body and me being the person that's running the country on stage that you have to sit with for three whole hours Mm. you just have to and it's revolutionary in that sense but then on the flip side it's difficult because it's still a white story Mm -hmm. and because it's still a white story it's hard to sort of like you know I've, I've wrestled with you know how do I implicate myself in this how do I do this well like it's very very complicated but yeah it's crazy because you know and then just being on Broadway right I you know I wrote this book target practice and I wrote this poem called the great white way where I sort of investigated what does it mean for me to be in this body and signing playbills for people who if I were to get die and get shot right now, who may not even bat an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard. It's hard, it's hard to do it in that sense. So I've been, you know, been very grateful for the, you know, platform it has given me, very, very honored of how it has been revolution how, how it's been revolutionary. But I'm also seeing how I can continue to leverage it so we can continue to do that work because Hamilton can't be the only thing. Mm-hmm. It just can't be the only thing mm-hmm. because it's not supposed to win every single battle. Right. So there are other plays that we need to get on on Broadway that are supposed mm-hmm. to win other battles. Mm-hmm. Other musicals that we need to get, you know, off Broadway and on Broadway, they're going to win this form of a battle because that that is the definition of a movement where we have multiple things happening, winning different battles. Right. So, yeah, I got yeah.
1: a question, man. When you bring up Hamilton, and I often wonder, uh, because I, I think the um, United States in particular is very protective of its colonial history, <laughs> yeah. it's very, very, it, it, it does, it protects it, and, and I think whatever people's uh, political views on Hamilton are, you know, I'm interested in how you've experienced the reactions to Hamilton from people, like how are they treating you? Because the thing is, once you become uh, a Broadway actor or a television actor or mm. visible to some degree, people forget that you're a person, and they will just shoot the most vicious things at you. They will Ooh, forget yeah. that you're a human being, and they will just like like you're not really just a person that they just spent five hundred dollars to see or two hundred dollars, whatever, or two thousand or two gunshot talk <laughs> yeah. that talk, yeah, but you know the thing is, it's like I I wonder in an environment that's so protective of its colonial history is. It's, it's racial <laughs> dispositions. What, what, how have people treated you when they see that you, you know, you do the reverse. Like they whitewash our history all of the time and you became yeah, a black yeah, George yeah. Washington. How do chocolate. they feel about that?
2: Well, I think it it, it is contingent upon um, uh, location, time, um, season and era, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, generally speaking, you get a lot of New York is a place where it is just filled with liberals just okay. filled with people who who are quote unquote liberal but are still in a sense you know still arms length away so they can sort of be safe yeah, yeah. so in and it's weird in new york i would it, it like i i there's an element of being glorified on it. Like, yeah, I'm so happy that a black <laughs> man is playing George Washington. But sometimes, it, and it makes you yeah. be like, we're cool. And sometimes it makes me feel like, okay. A little, sometimes it makes me feel like it's a fetish. Yeah, uh, right, And, right. I, and, right. I, and I'm <sighs> like, all right, what's happening here? But then on the flip side, right? So, so I was up with Hamilton for two years, an amazing two years for 8 months I was a standby so I played Burr, George Washington, Lafayette and Jefferson. Wait, wait, wow. don't 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 go past it. So that means you had to learn the parts yeah, for yeah, yeah. everybody. <laughs> all,
0: of it. Book, all, all of
2: them. Off book all of
1: them. All of them. All of that. All all of
2: all that. All all of that. So T-M. then I did. But then I got, you know, again, by the grace of God, they gave me the opportunity to take over the role of George Washington on the first national tour where we did that in St. Louis. Mm. Houston. Mm. Houston mm. Atlanta. Okay. DC. Mm. <laughs> right. right not sure. a lot of liberals these know these spaces you know I would do it in St Louis and what I would do sometimes just you know if I was like too tired and I didn't want to go to the stage door or, you know sign any autographs I would leave out through the theater with the patrons and I would listen to what they say <sighs> wow right Did,
0: was it heartbreaking
2: heartbreaking ah oh. so yes. like, oh, you know I just I just don't know why like it just sounds like all that crazy rap music you know i just hate that nigger and bitch talk that you know rap music you know always talks about mm-hmm. or or man i don't know why they had to have a black george washington or like oh i don't get oh too many words in that show way too many words, too many <laughs> words. like oh wow you must hate shakespeare <laughs> <Facts>. you, must <laughs> hate you must hate ibsen mm-hmm. right um I would leave out. <laughs> then I remember doing it in Houston, right? Houston was generally like lit; it was good. But there, were, there were some performances. Usually, when you do on when you go to tour, that first week are the theater. Um, oof! I'm about to get y'all making me stir up the pot. Come man. on, come on, come on! We yeah. got plenty
0: spoon. Oh, y'all off.
2: making me stir the pot. All right. Well, I mean, so generally speaking, when you're on tour, the first week. Uh, you're not necessarily getting fans come to the show, you're getting the the season subscribers. Uh, at okay. the theater. Okay. Usually those season s- subscribers are old white people. Hmm. So I remember being uh in the performance in Houston and I come out and they're like, "George Washington, I forgot my first part. We are outgunned." Oh, out, man, when they said George Washington I came out, <laughs> these two old white people said, <laughs> "Huh? Got up." Wow! walked out the theater. Wow. While you were coming out to the, like
0: literally one of the best parts of the play for me. Like like, you feel your heart. No, this ain't
2: my George Washington. Not my George Washington. Now I kind of respect that. I'm like, word, cool. Get up, leave. You still pay for the ticket, so I still get paid, so you're good. But yeah, so then you have that. But then you got (laughs) Atlanta. (sighs) Atlanta was the most powerful place to do Mm the show because it was... It was it was the most diversity I seen in a crowd. Mm. Black, white, mm. uh, Indian, like, it, and 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 through all socioeconomic backgrounds, right? Yeah. I had Atlanta gangsters come up to me at yeah. the stage, yo, yo, son, that was great, man. I, you know, then I had you know these prominent black figures who probably own, you know owned things. It was great. And in DC, <laughs> and then DC was complicated. Huh? It's complicated. DC was complicated because you got a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're in we're in the in the Trump era. You know, mm-hmm. we had a show the same day they had the white nationalist rally. Ooh, you know, in DC. Oof. and they and some of them were there.
0: Ooh, the wow. show. Oh, they they. And were the line to... where
2: they get immigrants, we get the job done. You heard in the crowd. <sighs> oh my you, you,
1: you mad <laughs> <off>. Yeah, it's <laughs> complicated. It's
2: complicated. So it depends on where you are. It depends how you do. Um. But, you know, but I love, I love our creative team. I, I love our cast. I love the team because I think we all acknowledge those things. Mm-hmm. We don't shy away from it. We don't mm-hmm. stray away from it. We talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we make it a part a part of our narrative on how we make certain decisions on mm-hmm. how we do so, certain character analysis. And we, we don't, it's not something that, that is that is hidden in my experience. Yeah.
0: Um, Which is very much the vein of of what you've come to know about poetry as well.
2: 100%, 100%.
0: So now what what is next for Carvin
2: Sassant? You know, I, I don't know, I don't target know. Target practice is out. Target, target practice is out, second collection of poetry. Right now, so what I can say is right now, I am sort of in the works to adapt target practice to either a stage play or a feature film. That's all. Uh, amazing that's that's all. That's, 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 what what all. I'm, that's what I'm doing right yeah. now I think what's next for me for sure is I I want to do way more work in television and film I've done a little bit but not as much as I would like um and I want to do more writing for mm. television and for film I I, I want to explore that a little bit more so that's what I know is happening for sure mm-hmm. um I guess I can say on here because people know but I am moving to Los Angeles I can't say why for how long? I don't know.
0: You're just going for like a couple of weeks. That's great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Don't know. <laughs> Come don't back. know. But I am you, moving to Los Angeles. I can, can, I can say that publicly, but I can't say why. <sighs> um, wait, um, wait, wait.
0: Did you give up your lease?
2: Yeah, that's the question. Yes. Yes.
1: Oh, it's all yeah, bad with it. You want to sublet the yeah. lease, man. No, we couldn't. We couldn't. We couldn't, <laughs> Everybody we couldn't, <laughs> could. Nobody even could Nah, nah, they wouldn't let us do it. <laughs> they, they always could. don't let you do it, but <laughs> she does do it. Listen, she wouldn't let
0: us do it. From the people who have a 35-year-old sublease. Yeah, we
1: have Don't be saying that on the... Don't be saying don't know. They go find us. What they gonna do. Yes, Come she's and got a camera. Come right. and get
2: us.
0: Find me. Um,
2: but yeah. So, so what's next is prayerfully more television and film. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, man, you know, I, what I didn't get to talk about a lot is just what that grind does mm-hmm. to you. You know, so I've been sort of dealing, you know, on a very very big journey of my own mental health and really investigating sort of that fifteen years of living on the grind in a way Mm. that, uh, you know, in a way that sort of made me internalize and hold a lot of trauma that are now starting to unearth. So what's new from what's really new and what's big for me, man, is just my mental health and investigating depression Mm. and and taking time for myself. So I can't move at the same pace that I did before. Mm -hmm. And... Because I'm a New Yorker, because I got immigrant parents, you know, I'm just about the grind, but I, I, I realize that the grind has to look different for me. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing, man, is, is keeping God first, keeping the Lord first, mm-hmm. serving my wife and my family, um, and prayerfully putting more work into the world that mm-hmm. I think will investigate the human condition and help free people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's my biggest thing. And I was able to do all of that because of poetry. Mm-hmm. And prayerfully, I can continue to mm-hmm. do that because of poetry and mm-hmm. because of the word. Um, Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Carl. Thank
2: you very much, man, for pulling
0: up. Better give us sound bites up in this bit.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I like I like the idea of you understanding that grinding, like to keep talking about grinding, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But then we have to talk about about what happens to the body after a cycle of grinding. Because (laughs) what is grinding, right? Grinding is a verb. And usually something is ground to dust. Dusty. So <laughs> you want your body to be like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Do you want your mind? Do you want mm-hmm. your soul? Mm-hmm. Do you want your spirit? Mm-hmm. Even the things that we love the most about this art are the things we end up hating because it's no longer mm-hmm. a tangible thing, but it's a handful of dust.
2: So. Yeah, a friend of mine named Danae Benton, She's in. she plays Eliza in Hamilton. You know, she's been talking about hu- hustle culture. Mm. And it's it's... And where it can be problematic, where it's mm-hmm. beneficial and where it can be problematic. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just I'm just learning that. But but no, man, I think I love I love talking with y'all. Like it really just reminds me of home and it really puts a lot of stuff in perspective. When I get overwhelmed, I think like, man, man, those days when mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was just get up on a stage and just say a word. Mm-hmm. I gotta remind myself, because what people don't also talk about is that when the platform comes and when the eyes come the purity gets lost yeah Mm. the purity gets lost yeah i don't remember the last time i wrote something down for the sake of freeing myself Mm. without thinking about if i could pay my bills off of it wow Mm. so i think when i see y'all it reminds me that it reminds me remember when you just needed to say it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i need to get back there yeah yeah
0: well, home is always here
1: for you.
2: Yeah, man. You gave up the <laughs> lease, but you know, this is another part. You <laughs> gave up the lease. gave up the lease.
1: Yeah,
2: it's so okay. We, oh, tried. It's we tried. Fine. We tried. They weren't with it. They were nice. buildings. these new buildings. These new buildings, they got they got rules. Let's make them copies of keys. and <laughs> Copy by the key. Yeah, right.
0: yeah the flatbush um, just came out of him real yeah.
1: quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the He's making the are copying key. the keys, man. But yeah. Well, look, man, thanks a lot, Carl, for pulling up, man. We wish you all the continued success, (laughs) man.
0: Have two more episodes of More Than Slam Cooking, so keep your ears open and your eyes on the Brooklyn, USA feed.
1: More Than Slam is hosted by Mahogany L. Brown and Jive Poetic. This series is produced by Emily Bogosian,
0: Nia Iman Smith, and Jessica Sutcher. It is recorded by Onel Moulet and edited by Sharukh Elmadi. Our executive producer is Sasha Mathias. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Brooklyn USA
1: wherever you get your podcasts. For more information. On our live Poetry Slam series at Brick House. Visit BrickArtsMedia.org slash Poetry Slam. For more information
0: on More Than Slam and other Brick Radio podcasts, visit BrickArtsMedia.org slash radio.
1: Slash radio. Peace.
0: Hey, hey, my name is Mahogany L. Brown, and I ain't got time for you bitches. <laughs> my name
2: is Carvin LaSonde.
0: Yes, put on that podcast
2: voice. That's a podcast voice. <laughs> A.K.A. Black
1: Velvet. (laughs) I'm waiting for my Luscious (laughs) Lab mixtape still. Luscious
0: Lavender in the building. (laughs)